0: Radio Aspile is a series of podcasts brought to you across the internet by TIPM Media. Presented by investigative journalist Mick Rooney, it covers a host of topics from international media, publishing, aviation, and technology. Thank you for listening to this podcast today.
1: Here we are again, Radio Aspile, and this is episode 6. Let's go. guest for you uh, on Radio Spoil for episode 6 James Nixon will be joining us uh, very soon and rejoining us I might say because uh, James has spoken to us before we're doing an update tonight on Malaysia Airlines uh, MH370 and we're also going to do a little small feature on the late great aviation journalist Ben Sanderlands
0: Radio Aspile. We explore and discover together.
1: Okay, welcome to the uh, program. We uh, operate in podcast and videocast. Uh, you can catch up with the website on www.radiospile.com uh, Facebook, uh, uh, backslash Radio Aspial, Twitter, at Radio Aspial. Let's get rid of all the promotional stuff and let's get on with it. Okay, as I say, we're uh, catching up with uh, Malaysia Airlines Flight uh, 370 um, and what's kind of been happening in in recent months. Uh, We have another great guest coming up for you. Uh, It's uh, James Nixon, retired Captain James Nixon. Uh, He has been on before, uh, and I'm delighted to say he's joining us again. Uh, Before we go to uh, James Nixon, uh, I, I also want to reflect on uh, Ben Sanderlands. Ben Sanderlands, for some of you uh, who are not quite up in the aviation world, uh, Ben Sanderlands, really 60 years of experience uh, covering aviation, many other general subjects, as uh, as a journalist. Uh, ben was from Australia. Uh, really, for me, I... I I got to know Ben a little bit, uh, not as much as my guest. Uh, Some of you a little bit into aviation will know that um, uh, Ben Sanderlands was the uh, writer for uh, Plane Talking, which was a blog for uh, Crikey. Uh, uh, Crikey's aviation blog uh, really was the the go-to place for for many of us in the aviation world. And... um, We just wanted to reflect a little bit on uh, Ben Sanderlands who who tragically passed away uh, last Friday. Um, But first of all, just as the background for uh, the the main part of our program, uh, Malaysia Airlines Flight, again, if you're new to the program, we cover lots of stuff, uh, media, aviation, technology, publishing, uh, writing, uh, a whole host of uh, uh, different things, but our main subject, as I say tonight, is Malaysia Airlines Flight uh, Three Seventy. We have a number of updates that I'm going to talk to James Nixon about, uh, just to, for first to catch up on as to what exactly is happening uh, with a potential search. But just the very brief background, I'll keep this uh, short and quick. Uh, Malaysia Airlines Flight. Uh, MH370 was a scheduled international passenger flight Uh, that disappeared on the 8th of March 2014 while flying from Kuala Lumpur International Airport, Malaysia, to Beijing Capital International Airport in China. The aircraft was a Boeing 777-200ER operated by Malaysia Airlines. It last made contact uh, with uh, air traffic control over the South China Sea uh, in and around the Agari uh, waypoint. Uh, just before it approached Vietnam airspace Uh, and that happened about 40 minutes after takeoff uh, from uh, KLIA Uh, Malaysia military claimed that they continued to track the aircraft as it uh, deviated westwards from its planned flight path to Beijing and crossed back over the Malaysia uh, Peninsula it ultimately left the range of military radar and according to a British a satellite company, uh, in Inmarsat, uh, they believe they, um, not tracked it, but ultimately understood that it flew for many hours onwards into the southern Indian Ocean. And really from perhaps uh, debris over the last uh, three and a half years, um, we've learned that, that that is the likelihood that, that that's where the the aircraft ultimately went. Uh, the aircraft was carrying uh, twelve uh, Malaysian crew members, and two hundred and twenty-seven passengers uh, across uh, fifteen uh, nations. Uh, we are where we are, but let's hopefully that we'll we'll catch up there uh, shortly. As I say, um, before we uh, talk to James, we're we're gonna uh, firstly. Reflect on uh, the late Ben Sanderlands who who passed away uh, after uh, a long uh, illness. So, without further ado, let's um, let's go and talk to James. Okay, uh, welcome back. I'm delighted to say that a uh, uh, retired Captain James Nixon is uh, back to join us uh, again. Um. I gave a a brief uh, intro as to what we're going to be discussing tonight. Um, So, really, straight away, I talked a little bit about the the fact that we'll be reflecting on uh, the journalism career of uh, Ben Sanderlands. James, I think you knew Ben a lot better than I did.
2: G'day, how are you, Mick? Well, I... I was one of Ben's snitches in the later years. Um, you
1: you, you, you uh, referred to yourself as the go-to pilot.
2: Uh, well, no, no, no. He was my go-to journalist. Oh,
1: um, I see. Because when when you're an
2: airline pilot, you're flying most of the time and sleeping for for as much as you can. So you actually a, a lot of stuff passes you by. And so when you needed to find out what's going on in the industry, uh, the first thing and the only thing to do is to buy a Crikey.com subscription and see what Ben's on about. Yeah. Um, As you know, he's a prolific treater, tweeter. So anything that was going down, uh, Ben would let you know straight away. But he's certainly the go-to guy for for uh, many years. Unfortunately, we had some very good Australian aviation journalists, and by one, they fell away and sold out to um,
1: the larger uh, organisations or the, the newspapers.
2: Well, and and worse, we're some of the magazine uh, some of the newspapers that they work for, um, or TV stations, whatever um were big recipients of advertising from the big airlines naturally so uh and the manufacturers well um ben didn't care about that he was ruthless and he was uh the man to go to to find out the truth
1: absolutely yeah and, and of course the, the reason why we're, we're um talking about um uh, ben today is because sadly uh he passed away last friday after after um a long uh, illness and uh I think you've summed it up um best that he really he leaves a, a huge void because as you've sort of briefly touched on we're now in an age of media we discussed this last time you were on as well where media has changed in that there no matter what area it is be it technology um be it aviation be it politics there we're seeing more and more talking heads who really are just Generally reporters and journalists, but we're seeing the industry of media move much, much more away from essentially what Ben was, although he was great even at, at writing about general subjects, his his main area was, you know, aviation, even, you know, the, the, the shipping industry. Uh, he could talk about humanities. He could talk about so many subjects with, with equal professionalism. Um, we're, we're losing a lot of those jobs. And he,
2: he was—he was an old-style reporter. He went, didn't go to university um, uh, initially. He straight went straight out of school, got, became a cadet journalist at the City Morning Herald, and uh, learned how to be a real reporter. And I think that came through time and time in his, uh, again in his work. But he was also a uh, an accomplished mountain climber and uh, was in the uh, first expedition to climb Ball's Pyramid, which is east of uh, Lord Howe Island in the Pacific. Uh, it's like an Australian uh, protectorate, and that's um, off New South Wales. And in 1965, these guys went and climbed it. Now, I recommend if anyone's remotely interested in uh, Ben's life, have a look at Ball's Pyramid and uh, see how this thing sticks out of the Pacific Ocean and the, the problem these guys good to climate uh, they his reports back to the Sydney Morning Herald were being listened to because they'd co- communicate by radio uh, and then a Morse operator would send the reports back to uh, the Sydney General post office and I think he also he, he also d-
1: during that particular uh, event he proved himself to be a pretty nifty swimmer as well <laughs> he did because he he, uh, he realized he was
2: been scooped by this uh, the other journalists who wasn't doing the climb. And wasn't part of the expedition. So when they got to the top, he, he crawled down the bottom and then jumped in the shark-infested waters and swam out to a boat to and took the the straight to the Morse operator so that they could he could put the uh, copy in and, and uh, scoop everybody. So he was one of those rollicking old journo's who had done everything. he climbed Mount Blanc. He'd done a climb in the Himalayas, uh, um, and he was. Uh, his uh, previous editors say that you could get him to, to write on anything yeah, and he yeah. would uh, be able to that. yeah bring it alive
1: and um, I, 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 again talking about Ben um, I would recommend anybody I think in the last 24 hours there uh, Sarah Sarah White at, uh, at Crikey has Sally White has written a, a terrific um, um, obituary uh, on Ben that really very much captures uh, the sense of, of who Ben was. Like I said, you, you knew him an awful lot better than I did. Most of my interactions were, were through uh, Twitter. W- what always struck me with Ben is late at night, you could be, well, probably early early in the morning for him, you, you could be having a, a right ding dong discussion, uh, uh, back and forth, back and forward, and arguing, and sometimes are getting heated. But Ben had this great aspect of you could talk to him the following day. And despite the things might have got heated the previous evening, there will be no reflection of that in any of the interactions. And he had that great ability as well. Because people would have thought, you know, he, he could be a bit difficult at, at times. Because he was very to the point, uh, spoke his mind. Uh, and really, I think that's very much what people respected of him and it, it shone through i think so
2: and uh, well, that's, that's the old reporter coming out because mm. you don't want to kill your sources. So yeah. uh, even if you disagreed with somebody, the next day you had to make up and uh, yeah. otherwise you'd cut off the source and he was one too. I, I mean, there must be a million journos out there trying to get his family, to give them his contacts book because he knew everybody.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I think one of his best friends, wasn't it? Uh, one of the... I think he was the head of PR, I think, in, in British Airways, I think, uh, for a while. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah so look you know it's it's obviously a sad time and and you think you know who's gonna fill ben's boots uh nowadays um and uh-huh. really uh, that's you know there is there is nobody you know that you would instinctively think uh, i've just found that an awful lot of Media coverage, when it comes to the subject of aviation, is very much, as I say, it's 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 written and spoken about generally by people who don't really know a great deal about it. They're just general reporters, and it, it does tend to be heavily sensationalised uh, rather than spoke if, about in detail.
2: If it doesn't include the words stall, spin, yeah, yeah, horror, yeah. crash, yeah. flames, yeah. burning smoke uh it it doesn't run and look there's an old uh journalism adage called uh which is used by editors a lot if it bleeds it bleeds and um that's all these people want to know about aviation they want to see that uh it's shocking and you know terrifying and they want to scare people uh but it's pretty much a boring business i mean most of the time it's taking people from A to B and there's a humongous number of people involved in each flight and each one of these flights goes on you know there's a million people in the sky right now and it's completely boring, but it's made of lots and lots of characters, and people like Ben used to gather all that information so that when there was a minor incident, or an engine shut down, or it returned to land, or something like that, that he could actually talk to the people who knew what was going on, and if it it, um it means that you have to give a journalist a lot of time, uh, and unfortunately, because there's no money in journalism anymore, no one pays for it. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, uh, for the last 10 years, he's been working for Crikey um, on this blog, getting paid, you know, piece rate on on performance. Uh, so you know, no one pays you anymore to sit around and investigate and to get to know all the people, and that's the problem with journalism. And sadly, we've lost Ben, and I don't mm-hmm. know who's going to come and his place, and as I said in my release, you know we're all stuffed now because we ha- we haven't got someone who's like Ben to look after us.
1: And he, uh, uh, as we move into our, our our main subject this evening, Ben, uh, very much, uh, almost, perhaps not quite on a weekly basis, but certainly on a bi-weekly basis, uh, would very much cover the case of uh, Malaysia Airlines MH370. Um, and again, usually cut through to the chase, uh, no matter what was being discussed, whether it was a new search, a piece of debris turning up, no matter what it was, Ben had that ability to just go right to the heart of what it, you know, that, that current uh, discussion.
2: Yes, and uh, unfortunately, because my emails backwards and forwards with him are. Uh, Interposed in my mind with um, the articles he wrote sometimes I blur on remembering what his personal thoughts were and what he had put in print and sometimes I'd read some stuff that he had written where he'd actually give you know credence to somebody who was uh, more of a conspiracy theorist mm-hmm. and um, and I would um, look back on it and wonder if that was his thoughts or not but of course his thoughts were uh, he loved I think he loved um calling a spade a spade mm-hmm. and if he did that uh if he didn't do it publicly he certainly did it uh, privately and that's what everyone loved him for
1: yeah no absolutely and and obviously um our thoughts are are, are with um ben's uh, family at this difficult time yeah um james let's move on to mh370 uh the latest developments uh there are a number a number of critical developments Um, before we specifically talk about uh, the search or the possibility of of a renewed search um, I know you had some thoughts and and we sort of briefly touched on this in other uh, forums Um, the final report from the ATSB the Australian uh, Safety and Transport Board came out I think it was last month Uh, some 440 pages, I could be, uh, certainly 400 plus pages. Um, Perhaps like me, you were a little bit disappointed as to what was in that report. So can we maybe flesh out a little bit more why you had some disappointments with the report?
2: Well, I've had some problems with the report all along Mm -hmm. insofar as, um, you know, there's, I don't know, Email addresses of uh, probably a thousand pilots who fly the tri- Boeing 777, mm-hmm. easily obtainable from uh, just a few airlines. And uh, instead of going and asking the pilot group, and maybe you know another two thousand five hundred, you could easily get yeah. from Airbus uh, to find out what pilots think themselves. They uh i think they've got a core of seven triple seven pilots or five triple seven pilots where they asked them specific questions about autopilot use uh and and based their whole search around that and so they've made it they've they've lost the opportunity when they went to discover discuss how the plane went in the water uh they put a lot of weight on um, some person trying to fly an airliner into the ocean um, And they looked at a number of, they looked at a lot of cases but mm-hmm. there were cases basically in Australia and New Zealand you know cases that small airliners and cases of uh, hypoxia and small small planes um, they really didn't use the resources that they could have. Uh, and i point out in my book specifically there's there's two when you're talking about a plane going into the water at high speed we we look for uh comparisons where we have valid data and they didn't use space shuttle challenger and they didn't use uh swiss air triple one and i think certainly swiss air triple one is a textbook case of what they what would expect to be happening so uh i all the way through, I thought they were pretty weak in in those areas. And then their final report to come out and Mm -hmm. they've put a large amount of weight on the simulator track that, um, they say was flown by the captain's flight simulator program. Yeah. Um, no one knows if his son was playing with that, that program, uh, There were 640 interviews done by the Homicide Squad in Malaysia. They cleared all the crew and passengers in the end, but certainly they started with all the crew. And the evidence from his brother-in-law, I think brother-in-law, I think, was um, that he hadn't used the computer for a year and his wife was on it and would get rid of it. And whether or not he used it, Regularly up to that time, none of the, none of this is coming out. So in my mind, uh, you have to really discount um, that, in, that 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 uh, evidence. But correctly, they examined that evidence and said, well, if it was flowing into the Southern Ocean, uh, or the South, South Indian Ocean, um, these tracks have to be compared and looked at great and they've done a fantastic job of that in their opinion um they're just saying well this is a possibility and we investigate all possibilities well they investigated a few possibilities and um they didn't include in their report anything in detail of what i've just said to you about mm-hmm. the yes. captain being exonerated except for one paragraph where they said and i haven't got it in front of me so you'll have to look at it yourself where they say oh we discount that the captain was uh, the cause of this crash you know and we don't believe this happened well no, i think you know, they, think the they said something along pages. the lines
1: as well in it that that and i think this kind of they kind of towed the line that the um that that came out in the the leaked Malaysian police report uh, uh, that that essentially the, they the flight seminar had been looked at and there really there was nothing conclusive uh, uh, to be to be drawn from it
2: yeah but but also they 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 exonerated him in in one one line and or 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 made it ambiguous <coughs> and the thing is if you're going to Hang someone's um, character out to dry. Well, you've got to.
1: you got um, to back it up.
2: You've got to back it up, and you go, or you've got to say the full, the full story, which they didn't do. And and so I, as an operating pilot, sit back and get angry because we we still are looking for the flight data recorder and the wreckage. where we haven't got to the investigation stage yet. We're still looking for an aeroplane,
1: yeah, and, and and that's the critical thing to remember. Um, as we move towards the, discussing the actual search or potential of, of a new search, um, again, there's been an awful lot of speculation. Um, we know recently, now, when I say recently, the, the, rather recently, it came to light that there was a couple of more pieces of debris uh, discovered in madagascar and um, which were due to be handed over my own sources tell me that those two pieces of debris have actually still despite stuff about you know fr- from the uh, malaysian transport minister uh, minister low that uh... some of his associates from the Annex 13 team were travelling out there to to deal with the uh, the handover of debris. My understanding is that's never actually happened, and that debris still remains out in Madagascar. This, of course, coincided with uh, another sad event, and that was the uh, essentially the the gunning down of uh, a Malaysian consular. Uh, and of course, uh, I, I think of—I um, I think uh, Ben spoke uh, about this uh, to, to reflect back on our previous discussion, and you know, has stressed that look, you know, we do not know whether there was any connection uh, with the case of MH three hundred and seventy, or this was just something that happened within that country that had to do with internal politics or history of people involved. Um, your thoughts?
2: No, well, I'm just completely intrigued by the whole thing yeah. and completely skeptical. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I've been to the grassy knoll at uh, where JFK was shot. I've seen the white X on the road, and uh, we're still talking about the JFK assassination. Yeah, in, in uh, some weeks um, and weeks. And the longer it goes on, uh, MH370 is becoming the same sort of thing and, and I really, I've really i stopped reading a large amount of information mm-hmm. because uh, um, we're still going through this flight second by second trying to work out what happened well, you know, when we find out the air, where the aircraft is, then we can really work out backwards what happened, that's how you do crash investigation uh, but it's getting curiouser and curiouser it certainly the is. longer it continues
1: now nope. We've, yeah.
2: And I mean, you look at the number of people. There was a fantastic movie called Executive Action mm-hmm. in the 1970s about the JFK conspiracy theories, and uh, they just went through and they listed the number of people who had died in unnatural circumstances since JFK had been killed, and it was like 157 or something like that. Car accidents, uh, people who died um, uh, from stabbings and murders, and and by the time. Time you get to the end of that movie, um, you've got all these bodies piling up, and you think, "Crikey, it's it's all um, has to be related." Well, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's just coincidence. Maybe that's just life. And so, uh, a lot of this stuff I, I refuse to get stressed out about until, until we find some information that we can look at. Oh, no, now, no, if you're cool. telling me that there's two pieces of wreckage that that haven't been mm-hmm. um, given to the investigators, that upsets me as an operating. retired operating captain um, I don't like that
1: yeah no absolutely where
2: are they have we got photos let's get them some you know well well, we 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 have we have
1: we have the photos of the uh, the debris itself in fact one uh, although nothing has been spoken about this debris in an official uh, capacity as regards analysis of it because obviously it's, it's still there um, but, mm. yeah, it, it, it would actually transpire that one of them uh, has shows uh, uh, highly, lightly, that um, it probably is, uh, certainly, at the, at the very least, a piece of uh, aircraft wreckage. Uh, mm. The other, uh, we're unsure of. Um, but, the, as you say, the concern is, why the hell are they still there? And, granted, if some tragic event happened yeah. uh, yes. within Madagascar, that is for the Madagascan police to deal with and um, but there's still an ongoing technical and uh, criminal investigation here and let's get on with it and as of yet mm. we still have no confirmation that that debris ever arrived back in either Kuala Lumpur or was uh, sent uh, via uh, Canberra in, in Australia where some of the uh, the debris has been gone but yeah it, it's, it's a big concern if that's still the case mm. We've learned, or certainly I have learned through some of the Next of Kin, that around about March, and I wasn't aware of this until uh, some weeks back, that around about March, some of the Next of Kin attended a meeting with the, um, I believe the Malaysian Minister of Transport uh, was there and briefed the relatives. And essentially, let them know that you know somebody might be coming on board here later. Uh, there is a company uh, that that's made some kind of offer, but it's very early days yet. And the relatives didn't get any further updates about this. Ultimately, Voice 370, the um, representative group of the families, in August went public and announced. Here's the name of the company. Um, we've known about this for quite some time. We've let the authorities get on with it and and deal with uh, potential offer or resumption. We've now, in recent months, found out that actually, Fugro, Fugro worldwide also, um, made some kind of offer to continue the search, and we're also now learning that there was potentially a Malaysian local company who also made some form of offer uh, to be involved with the search. And here we are now with potentially three offers that were we'll put on the table. Uh, perhaps the sounding out by the next of kin in recent months and weeks has pushed things forward a little bit to the point that we now have the all the protagonists in all this named. We, we now know that uh, Ocean Infinity is the it would seem from the press releases from the um, both, uh Darren Chester in Australia and uh, Minister Lowe and his uh, subordinate, uh, his deputy Aziz, that uh, it would seem that Ocean Infinity would be the preferred choice to to potentially restart um, uh, uh, resume the search. Your your own thoughts well, again? I, I,
2: well, I, well, I, I, I believe Ocean Infinity has the contract now and uh, they've even even uh, clarified finders fees tied to 90 days um and so let them at it. Oh, although let's, uh, let's 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 or, or, stress let's though that, that
1: formally we've had no absolute declaration that contract was signed this is happening we we don't quite know mm-hmm. that yet
2: i think i think the abc radio uh, abc news wire uh, had a a quote by Darren Chester, and uh, I think it's all go. Uh, a few days ago, that's what I'm, I'm assuming, uh, having read the news wires. Um, I've since given up trying to get press releases out of the Malaysian government. No, look at the Trust yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Malaysian government. Go they, the they,
1: they don't even keep the, the Come official. Back then, we need you. They, they don't even keep the, uh, <laughs> the, the official MH370 uh, website oh. and its press release oh. uh, core area on, on oh. the website up to date. God so me. it's a nightmare. If,
2: have you tried have you tried to do a search on oh, it's just you know um i'm the, the the son of a librarian and uh every time i um try and find anything on their website i curse my mother comes out in me and i curse these people saying you know let's just do it by date and time in order or reverse chronological order mm. i don't care. but It's just so difficult to find this information. So the ABC Newswire tends to be uh, pretty good because they back it up with interviews with Darren Chester and mm-hmm. the Australian government so we know, well at the moment, uh, they had a story saying that uh, Ocean Infinity's got it, there's a 90 day deal uh, they get paid a lot of money, I think it's $20 million uh, if they if they find it in 90 days
1: This is the proverbial no, no, no fine, no uh, fee
2: yeah, that's right, and and of course they're going to go for that rather than Fuego because Fuego is just saying we'll do it cheaper mm. uh, but uh, Ocean Infinity's got this new technology and they reckon they're going to find it quickly um, and the ATSB is going to give them as much support, well all of Australia is going to give them as much support as they need but no cash but there's a lot of people who are working for us for them, for, 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 for the Australian government so uh, you can say that we're giving a large amount of money in terms of staff wages so they're looking at um having a go now if they i just want someone to either say uh, we're going to search for it or we're not Mm -hmm. if we're not great because i'm sure james cameron have you interviewed him james cameron who found the titanic i mean this is a monty for at least two movies maybe three and i'm just sitting back waiting for him to say are you all done all bets off okay when you you guys are finished will come in and we will find it and we'll make movies about it and we'll get our money back that way
1: and we've all, we've also had david Mearns uh, also uh, in discussions with the family to advise them suggesting that you know he's also someone that could be there not just an advisory role but a more hands-on role if essentially uh, any official resumption of, of a search falls apart
2: but you know you're a journo mm-hmm. ring, has anyone rung James Cameron and said does this pique your interest are you remotely interested in MH370 uh, because you know he he found the Titanic I mean let, the guy's got a history He's he's gone deeper than anyone else in the world in uh, his uh, 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 search endeavour you know someone ring him up and find out if he's interested because if Ocean Infinity don't find it in 90 days what happens then
1: is that a cause it's it's a slight um it's a slight red light to me that the Malaysian negotiation team in discussions with Ocean Infinity have suggested or proffered that there's a time limit on this. Does that it does this ninety day window concern you or do you think that's just more about potentially if we can get this up and going look you've got december you've got january you've got february uh... you you potentially even got march uh... prior to the 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 fourth anniversary of, of the the aircraft going missing do you think it's got more to do with that or uh, are you like me that has some concerns that this ninety day thing has been floated in other words we're gonna search for the aircraft we're not going to charge you anything if we don't find it. Uh, you only pay us. Uh, here's the fee, uh, or, or at least a window of a fee, which is quite exceptional to me. There's a hell of a big difference between $20 million um, uh, dollars and $70 million, but uh, however, there may, there may be technical aspects as to why that, that, that's there, there's such a huge gap between the minimum what could be and the maximum what could be. But do you share concerns like me that... that Malaysia have kind of introduced this time window of 90 days?
2: Well, yeah, you've got to ask yourself Mm. um, who was in the room during the negotiations and what were they about and who made that 90-day claim. Weather Ocean Infinity said, we're doing it based on a a strict meteorological uh, window. Uh, Our gear works well in these months of the year Mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to pull out of the water on that date so uh we'll only be doing it for 90 days now none of us know what was uh, happening in that interview or that uh, meeting so uh, we can't really comment
1: okay i understand it It, 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 no more comment about that um regarding where they should search should that be a matter for um ocean affinity essentially you're going to be doing this independently. You don't get out, and if you don't find it, uh, you search wherever the hell you want. Or do you believe Ocean Infinity will concentrate on the area that the recent ATSB report has prioritized, essentially north of the previous search box, the search zone?
2: Yeah, I think there's only one place to search for this aircraft, and that's on the 7th arc. And uh, in the position that's now been refined, as being um, uh, refined by the CSI adrift. I think just somewhere around this, uh, the 35th parallel, uh, yeah. Yeah, 35th parallel, mm. and it's uh, on the 7th arc, and maybe expanding that area out to, um, uh, to include a larger area than was previously thought but uh, I don't think they're going to go anywhere else
1: No, you? no I certainly don't see uh, Ocean Infinity uh, going anywhere else. Uh, I think they they will uh, work as best they can is with that, the where, do you, where, go on. where do you reckon the plane is?
2: Where do I where reckon do it think is? The plane is? But
1: just yeah. like I don't have any specific theory um, on MH370 all I, w- I, would, I, I have ever said is, I do believe that the satellite data, the Immersat data, uh, is reasonably correct and accurate. I've always felt that we are trying to extract far more out of the Immersat data than we should. It's never been used in this way before to specifically locate it. It's not a geolocation tool. Um, it just gives a broad area of where the plane is. I do believe it's in the southern Indian Ocean. I, I, I'll, hands up, I will say very early on, I was... Um, no, 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 where do you think
2: it is now? I, I, I think we're going to ask everyone we speak. No, to no, sure. No, uh, I, 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 I believe. People saying it's, I've, I've it's in Mauritius I, and all, I, I know, think and an awful
1: lot of the recent, what's convinced me more, I did think it was much more southerly. The crucial piece of evidence that came out in the uh, Royal Malaysian Police Report uh, that helped me at least corroborate that the aircraft definitely turned back, it definitely crossed over the Malaysian um, peninsula, it definitely was over Penang is that I didn't just have to believe this primary radar, military radar that that the uh, Malaysian government has insisted that they had, but no show uh, but we can't show you now Um, once we had the corroborating data of the co-pilots um, mobile phone being detected by Cellcom that then made me feel okay well whatever about it going up further up the Malacca Strait, I think I can at least get to south of Penang wherever it went after there I ultimately do believe it's down in the southern Indian Ocean I think the Imarsat data is broadly correct although as I say I think more is being extracted out of it than necessarily it can stand up to um, the debris has been the most crucial part of it for me in regards proving that it is in the southern Indian Ocean. And I think we I've certainly read enough drift analysis reports to suggest that the latest drift analysis from Cicero and David Griffin is broadly correct, that they should have always went further north. And that, what drew me to the southern theory that, that maybe it went for, was that I wasn't willing to fully accept the Malaysian military radar. In other words, I was more gone. Mm. I, I I I can I can I can live with the ImmerSat data, but I can't fully accept this Malaysian military radar that I've never seen and nobody's ever seen. Um. In other words, did it go south? Earlier, much earlier, did it simply cross the Malaysian uh, Peninsula and go straight south? Did it ever go, or what I've always referred to as, did it ever do the um, Malacca uh, Mystery Tour? You know, did it ever go up towards northern Sumatra and come back around and then go south? You know, that's what I was never sure of. I think, to be fair to the Malaysians, as much as they still will not show us data on uh, proper radar screen captures all the this the whole nonsense about the Lido thing. Um, and I'm supposed to be interviewing you, not you having me talking. Um so yeah, so look, I i, I do believe they're they're much, much closer now uh to finding it. Um but at, at at one stage I I did believe there was a strong case to argue that it could have went much much further south because of course we had we had those three or four French, uh, I think Chinese satellite um, images of very large objects. This was t- sometime around the end of late March, twenty fourteen. Which you know, I'm sure all of us that morning we woke up thought, "This is it." You know, they they found they found the debris, it is. and of course, it never. So out.
2: I think we're all agreed that it's in the in it's in the South Indian Ocean. So yeah, how does a Malaysian, I think it's a minister, stand up and say it's in the South China Sea? We're looking in the wrong yeah, spot. Yeah, How I, come I, I, that gets done? Well, look, time? I, I, you know, this s- is these red herrings get thrown in, so they make you think.
1: Look, it's an opposition. Yeah, it's it's Maybe an opposition minister, so I, I think trying. there's been politics being played here. I, I, I scoring points and politics, I think, has been played there, and it's not fair to anybody. I'm glad least, the of all, least of all. The next of kin. It's not fair to anybody to be thrown red herrings yeah. into the you know I, in a parliament in a in a you know a, a political parliament to be thrown out stories like that. It's, it's absolute crap. You know we all know the the the, the, the data and the debris, the debris, the physical debris alone does not support any nonsense <laughs> about the Southern China Sea, the the Gulf of Thailand, You know oh. it, it doesn't support
2: so, that. So, so Mick, it's Mick. It's not in Kazakhstan anymore.
1: No, it's not in Kazakhstan. I I, I backtracked out there, um, and I've I've still not convinced uh, Jeff, that um that, that that it's um it's definitely not there.
2: <laughs> no, I don't think he'll, he'll ever be convinced.
1: No, Jeff, Jeff Jeff's, Jeff's going to kill me now you know? tonight. Mrs. Later Clinton. on, I'll, I'll get yeah, I'll get an email from him now. What are you saying about me?
2: Ah, <laughs> oh, Jeff, it's not in Kazakhstan. Trust me.
1: Honest, I promise.
2: But, you know, we've all got concerns. How can you fly it? Well, let's just forget about ATC in Malaysia, okay? Pretend Malaysia doesn't exist anymore, but um, the Singaporeans, how does it fly over Indonesia and no one pick it up? Are you telling me they don't don't have military radar? So there's all these questions that do lead people to continue Yeah, uh, sure, and and that that was my
1: my question on the Malaysian uh, uh, military radar, when it was like uh, we have it, but we can't show it but we'll give mm. you a load of cartoons and diagrams to say w- what yeah, it and, is and the
2: people like nobody else should...
1: nobody else said well we, we you're telling us this is where it went, that's where it went it went up this way across yeah. that way up that way well nobody else. Indonesia, Thailand, no one else has ever said they saw the plane. I think the, the closest mm. was Thailand who said, yeah, we did capture it, but we captured it just before it disappeared prior to mm. uh, the Agardi waypoint. And beyond that, yeah, yeah. nobody else has seen it. No,
2: no. Anyway, so um, it just... There's, it leaves so much open for mm-hmm. speculation until we find it and uh i think ocean infinity's got a good chance of finding it because they're the only ones going to go to the place that that uh, david griffin reckons it is and i trust him probably more than anyone else at this point in time i think the drift modeling has been fantastic
1: yeah i i, and I think and, and obviously everybody's hoping that 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 essentially will um Begin hopefully this summer season in your part of the world in the summer, southern uh, hemisphere from well, if not December, then maybe hopefully uh, January. Uh, we can only hope uh, the last thing I hope is that this goes belly up and we get just another uh. list of excuses and reasons why um, the Malaysian government have decided that actually, no, we're not going to bother with this, and um, uh, we couldn't reach a deal. Uh, I think we're back to square one again, but at least ocean infinity have put themselves out there as a potential independent party who could work with somebody else
2: mm, yeah certainly and uh, i think someone should write a letter to james cameron and see if he's interested i've been saying that for a year now no one no one has you know but
1: i'll see i'll see can i get his email yeah. and i'll drop him a mail and we'll, we'll see what he says oh dear yeah
2: and get david griffin on board have you you know I have
1: because he's a fantastic product I'm fairly sure uh, that you you suggested that last time and I'm fairly sure I fired him off on email I didn't hear back from him so I think if he's listened to this uh, David I'm sending you another email answer it this time
2: come on David just before you
1: go just before you go right behind you is uh, another book we never mentioned this is uh, Sleeping for Pilots and Cabin Crew I take it this is not going to happen on the aircraft during a a flight (laughs) Well,
2: it does. In fact, it's the best book in the world. It tells you how to sleep. It tells you about the NASA nap.
1: No, but not while you're flying.
2: Uh, Sleeping for Pilots and cabin, yeah. and cabin Crew and Other Insomniacs. I have photos of people. No. Uh, so Sleeping for Pilots and Cabin Crew and Other Insomniacs is a book I wrote uh, to help pilots and cabin crew get to grip with long-haul flying. Uh, the sleep patterns of these people are worse than shift workers. Uh, you're, you're a journo. You've been in shift work all your life. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, the, the problem in this business of shift working is you feel like crap, but at least you get five or six days of crap in a row. So if you're doing night shift, uh, your body gets into some, some cycle. But if you're flying from somewhere like, uh, say, uh, the Middle East to, to London and having six having 18 hours off or 20 hours off and then coming back, you're fly, flying up in the afternoon and you're flying back the next day overnight. And then you have... a, a a night back in your home bed and then you're flying off and doing the same thing or, or worse going eastwards so the moving sleep cycle is uh, the hardest to get around so uh, I investigated the 20 different factors that avoid your uh, that affect your sleeping from food and alcohol and water and mosquitoes and bed bugs and everything that affects your sleep and that's the first half of the book and that's um, whilst it's uh, mildly amusing. The part two is the bit that tells you about life and tells you how to sleep whenever you want for as long as you want. And that's the trick of uh, how to survive on the road in a moving sleep cycle. And it also includes lots of things like cockpit rest, sleeping in the in crew rest, sleeping in the cockpit uh, using the 24-minute NASA, NASA nap that... Uh, you get some really good effects before you get into the deep sleep cycles, and uh, it ends up with 23 tips on how to survive a long haul flight as a passenger, um, and it also teaches you how to land a plane. So it's quite a fantastic book, and it's been out there for quite a while. <laughs> There's a lot and in you there. You can get it on Kindle. <laughs> it's a lot in there. Yeah, it's a lot of
1: it. It's a long time to write. James Nixon. In fact. author of Sleeping for Pilots and Cabin Crew Uh, I hope the next time we speak we'll have more positive news uh, on Malaysia Airlines Flight MH370 again it's always a pleasure to talk to you, you're always very welcome you take care and we'll speak again soon
2: and and as we sign off let's just both say thank you Ben Ben Sanderlands thank you Ben
1: Sanderlands uh,
2: you've got the scoop of uh, amazing journalism Got the, he's got the, up there now, yeah. interviewing the captain and crew. Uh, didn't really give me the answers. <laughs> Take care, James.
1: Pleasure. Bye. See ya.
0: You have been listening to Radio Aspire, a series of podcasts brought to you across the internet by TIPM Media and presented by investigative journalist Mick Rooney. Please feel free to leave a comment and visit our links provided in this podcast production. Thank you for your support.
1: Okay, thank you for listening, and thanks again to uh, retired Captain James Nixon for joining us. All of the links that we refer to uh, in this program will be down in the wherever you see this podcast or video cast, whether it's YouTube. Um, soundcloud um, look wherever um, jamesnixon.com uh, go there he's a lovely little piece uh, on Ben Sanderlands. I'm also going to put up um, the Ben's um, link to his plain talking uh, blog uh, uh, really anybody who doesn't know Ben Sanderlands I'd Uh, highly recommend you go there there's a terrific archive it's only just very sad that we won't hear from Ben again uh, writing uh, as an aviation journalist Uh, thank you for joining me again I'm not going to go through all the promotional stuff Uh, www you can uh, see all the links there Um, and thank you for joining us and this won't be the last program on MH370, I'm hoping to have another guest lined up for the following episode seven um, program. So join us, join us again for that. And again, thank you all. God bless, Ben.
0: Spile. We explore and discover together. You have been listening to Radio Espial, a series of podcasts brought to you across the internet by TIPM Media and presented by investigative journalist Mick Rooney. Please feel free to leave a comment and visit our links provided in this podcast production. Thank you for your support.